Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Jeremiah 31, 15. I typically set aside a block of time on Wednesday afternoons to write my sermon. I know, Wednesday afternoon seems early, and it is, but I spend a part of Sunday and Monday and Tuesday preparing to write, reading commentaries, doing research. And Wednesday morning, I participate in a text study with some pretty excellent female clergy colleagues so that by the time I sit down to write on Wednesday afternoon, I have a pretty good idea of what I think I'm called to say. Not this week. I did all my usual work, but the news that trickled out on Tuesday and Wednesday about the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas, changed my ability to write the way I had planned. After all, this act story is filled with drama and intrigue and so many moments that capture the imagination. There were so many ways to go. Let me tell you a few of the sermons I had thought I'd preach today. I was originally struck, as you can tell by my title for this week, by the story of the slave girl with the spirit of divination, how she was healed and then discarded when she was no longer useful. How Paul and Silas were brought before the magistrates, not because they healed her or preached the gospel, because they were messing with the way people were making money. Oh, I had a whole sermon about her ready to go. And honestly, I could have preached just about Paul and Silas, how they spoke truth to power and took big risks to do so. Setting someone free was just their first step, but they disrupted this whole system, and the system did not take it well. Paul and Silas were publicly called out, physically beaten, and thrown into prison. I had a professor remind us that Roman prisons were not three hots and a cot, like some of our prisons are today, this was a place you were most likely going to die. The very real risk of being arrested and imprisoned did not stop them from speaking out, from freeing the slave girl, from messing up the money train. I had a whole sermon ready to go about that, too. Or I could have preached a sermon about the Roman guard. I heard a beautiful sermon from Lutheran pastor Nadia Boltzweber a couple weeks ago about this guard and how his response to the prisoners being set free was self-harm. She talked about this Roman guard in such a gorgeous and beautiful way, what happens to our self-worth when we are so wrapped up in what we do and what role we have, and when it falls apart, so do we. Man, I could have done a whole sermon on him too. But not today, not today. I can't preach on any of that today. As Pastor Chad said, the context has changed. We believe as preachers and a people of faith that we are just in a text context cycle. The same text that I was so sure about preaching a week ago has changed because of today. To pretend that 
this tragedy didn't happen and to get up here and preach the sermon I had planned on preaching because it would be easier to do so is a disservice to the gospel and to this pulpit. What are we here for if not to speak out against systems and powers that value the Second Amendment over second graders, who hold a personal freedom above and over the lives of children? I refuse. I can't stand up here as a mother whose kid looked at me on Wednesday as I dropped her off and said, don't let anything bad happen to you today, okay, Mom? I knew I was going to cry at that part, so we're ready. I can't pretend like what happened on Tuesday was normal or acceptable or in any way connected to the life God wants for us. I will not. I cannot. So here I stand. My next line says I'm probably going to cry. <laughs> oh, it's like I know myself. I'm going to probably cry more, so be prepared. But also, I'm, I might also swear from up here. Who knows? I'm not making any promises. I'm likely going to make some of you mad or uncomfortable because none of the sermons that were brewing in my mind about this text this week have been able to be written. Instead of the slave girl or the Roman guard or Paul and Cyrus, the, the Silas, the thing I can't stop thinking about is the earthquake. I keep thinking about the earthquake that didn't turn the building to rubble, but instead shook the jail at its very foundations, opened every door to every cell, and broke the chains holding everyone captive. The earthquake is what I was stuck on this week. It was not an earthquake that was a natural disaster. It had a cause. Luke writes what caused it was singing, worship. Paul and Silas sang songs in the middle of the jail after they were arrested for speaking truth to power, after they had been beaten and abused. One would think they would fall into deep despair. Luke makes sure to tell us they were put in the innermost cell, the darkest, least possible place to escape from. Their chances of survival were decreasing by every minute they sat in that cell, and the knowledge that they were sitting there overnight knowing things were going to get a lot worse. They were sitting in the darkest place with no hope for rescue, and they sang songs. Even when I'm absolutely sure they didn't feel like it. They sang and the foundations of the jail were shaken, and the doors broken open, and the chains fell off of all of the prisoners, not just Paul and Silas, everyone. The earthquake was caused by the singing of two people who refused to let despair win, and it freed everyone. I am stuck on this earthquake and its cause. And the one question that just kept floating in front of my mind was, when is the last time our worship did that? When's the last time what we did in here, in this place, shook the very foundations of the things that prevent people from living a free and full life? When is the last time what we did in here broke open doors and set people free? 
When is the last time we trusted that what we did in here was powerful enough to free every single person who hurt us? When is the last time we believed that what we did in this space, in this place, had the power to disrupt and undermine the powers that be, that kill us and hold us captive? When the prophet Amos gave us the words of God that said, I hate, I despise your gatherings and assemblies, he was speaking a word of truth over weak and small worship. Not that worship is bad, it is not, but worship that doesn't do anything once we leave this place is not what God has called us to do. And I keep thinking we've done the gospel such a great disservice by toning it down and taming it making it safe and palatable and approachable. We have used it to make us feel good about ourselves, or at least feel better. As Luther Seminary preaching professor Caroline Lewis said this week, the church has adapted and adopted the very systems the gospel came to upend. The foundations of the jail were shaken. This is what worship can do. This is what the gospel can do. It can speak and sing and shake the foundations of a system that has lifted up and protected the wrong things while offering thoughts and prayers instead of breaking open chains and flinging open doors. Paul and Silas knew they were not at risk. Not to minimize the very real danger they were sitting in, but also they were thinking beyond that, past that. They had been set free already by the God who loved them and named them and claimed them, and therefore, they were not willing to sit on it and feel good about themselves, but they were willing to risk everything to free anyone and everyone they came into contact with. The gospel ceased to be there to make them feel good but was instead a powerful tool of liberation and disruption. They knew what it could do, and they let it rip. During that same sermon, Pastor Nadia Boltzweber preached a few weeks ago that I mentioned, she said the question that she keeps asking about the church today is, what do we have as people of faith, as Lutherans, as Christians, that is unique and needed in this day and age. In this time where we hear all these scary statistics about church decline and news stories that make us feel like the world is truly, truly coming to an end, what does our faith have to say that is only something we have to offer the world? I think in this story from Acts, we get one of the answers. I think there's more than one. But I think we have one answer today in what Paul yells out to that distraught guard. Do not harm yourself. We are all here. That guard thought the world ended. He was overwhelmed with fear and despair. And Paul yells out, do not hurt yourself. We are here. I imagine Paul yelling this out to us as well. Despite what it feels like, despite what you think is happening in the world, despite how you're clawing onto the edge of that pit of despair, we are still here. 
Do not give up. Do not let go. Do not hurt yourself. We matter in the world that we are still here. This is what we cry out to each other when it feels like absolutely everything else in the world is telling us to give up, stop trying, join us in the pit. I believe the church, you and me, we are called to say no. We are still here. We believe what we have is powerful enough to shake the foundations of the things that are trying to kill us. We will not let some of those so-called Christian voices speak for us in this place. The ones who say, arm teachers, or everything will get better if God's in the schools, as if God weren't in the schools already. We will not let the principalities and powers tell us there's nothing we can do. We can sing. We can shout out, we are still here. Still, still preaching and living out and extending grace and love and forgiveness and peace and justice in the face of unspeakable evil. In the face of systems that want us to sit down and shut up, there is power in what we do in this place. Power in confessing together the ways in which we are complicit in broken systems. Power in being forgiven for the ways we hurt others. Power in being claimed and named, loved. And then power in being sent into the world with the truth that shakes the very foundations of the things that hold us captive and with the ability to break every chain. That is in you when you are sent. Did you know that? You can break every chain because you are still here. You have not given up, even when you want to, when it feels like that's the right choice. You are still here. I'm going to read this psalm to you. This is our response when it feels like we are sitting in the innermost room, in the darkest space, where there is no hope, where we are told there is no way out, sit in despair. This is our response. The Lord is king. Let the earth rejoice. Let the coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Fire goes before him and consumes adversaries on every side. God's lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people behold God's glory. All servants of images are put to shame. Those who make their boast in worthless idols all bow down before God. Zion hears and is glad, and the towns of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O God. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all other gods. You who love the Lord hate evil. 
God guards the lives of the faithful. God rescues them from the hand of the wicked. Light dawns for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to God's holy name. Amen. We might feel helpless, but God is not. I want you to just close your eyes for a second and imagine an earthquake that only breaks things that break us. That is you plus God. God has freed you, named and claimed you, forgiven you, and now sends you into the world like an earthquake for justice. So go in power and peace to love and serve the Lord. Mm -hmm.